Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Welcome to our Good Friday service here at Lakeland. We are so glad you're here with us. Thank you so much, all of you, for coming. Uh, my name is Michael Sandberg. I'm one of the group's pastors here. And if you've been attending here a while, you see we're going to be doing things a little different than usual and how we normally do our services. What we want to do tonight is we want to invite you on a journey with us, a journey of different accounts of the biblical narrative. And we're going to take some time and reflect together on these different accounts on our way to the cross. So this is going to be a special night where we're going to go ahead and we're going to go over the narrative, we're going to sing, and then we're going to do some more of the narrative, and then we're going to sing, and we're going to find ourselves at the communion table together, and we're just going to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. So here on Good Friday, do you see trouble in this world? I mean, do you see what's happening in the world around us? It's important to note here on this day that the world wasn't always like this. It didn't start out this way. There was actually a time when this world was perfect. Let that soak in for just a moment. We've never known a perfect world, but there was a time when it was perfect. When God literally created this earth and he, he spoke light into existence. He spoke water into existence. He spoke the earth and the soil into existence. And he put the earth in motion and its rotation. And he sent it around the sun. And he literally looked at all the oceans and, and in the inland lakes and the rivers. And he said, hey, let there be swarms of living creatures. And he did the same thing in the sky with the birds. Unfortunately, mosquitoes, I think, somewhere. Maybe they were after the fall. I'm not sure. But they showed up somewhere. But the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then an amazing thing happened. After all of this, the perfect creation of man comes into play. And many believe that it was truly perfect. The first man, Adam, was made in God's image. But he was made in the image of a triune God. And God, the Trinity, literally says together, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so God made man in his image, male and female, he created them. And that's what he did. Now, can you picture for just a moment, is there a better model to be designed after than God himself? I mean, this is an incredible, incredible beginning for man. It's amazing. And it was a perfect beginning and a perfect place where God made man and woman in his likeness. And he placed them in this domain called Eden, the Garden of Eden. And he gave them pretty much free range in this domain called Eden. And he said, you can eat of any of the trees but there's one tree, like right smack in the middle of the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat that tree. Well, one day near the tree, Eve finds herself in this conversation with the serpent. And the serpent says, hey, why don't you, why don't you eat of this tree, Eve? Well, Eve actually does pretty well. She initially re, you know, resists and she says, you know what? If I eat of that tree, I'm gonna die. 
Well, now <laughs> the serpent puts a picture, a false picture in her imagination. And he basically says, you know what? You're gonna get an upgrade here. You're not gonna die if you get that. You're gonna be Eve 2.0. You're gonna think and you're gonna be like God. The first upgrade ever in the Bible. And it's all a lie. Now here's where people actually tend to get the story wrong. Because a lot of people think of Eve having this conversation. She gets deceived. She goes over, she grabs the fruit, she eats from it. And then she goes on a little short journey through the garden looking for Adam. She's like, hey, Adam, come on over here. You should eat this. We can be like God. And he eats of it and their eyes are open. And boom, and that's actually not what happens. There's actually a horrible failure that takes place here by Adam. Let's go ahead and read from the narrative. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Who was with her. And he ate. Adam was right there. He was right there. He heard this whole thing that the serpent sold to his wife Eve. And he took it hook, line, and sinker with her. He should have just stopped the madness, said, no more, we're out of here. Let's not listen to this garbage anymore. But he didn't. He took of the forbidden fruit and he ate. And then something happened that was the biggest tragedy in all of human history. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. So when Adam's sin, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So instead of Adam and Eve getting an upgrade, they ended up getting sin to rule over them and all of their offspring that would follow. And here's the problem with this. It's not like sin is now this annoying thing that just kind of is, is irritating and irritable. No, no, it literally rules over them. They, they literally became slaves from this moment. And death, they were not going to die, and they were never supposed to know death. But how is this possible now? Okay, so they blew it. How does it affect us? Well, here's, here's the thing, and this is a really, really good question. It does extend down to us. And it begins with really human propagation or, or human reproduction. I mean, so like if your father has brown eyes, there's a really good chance that, you know, you could have brown eyes. Or, you know, if your father has a really big nose, you know, you could end up with a schnoz just like him, right? I mean, that could happen. Now, your, your dad may not want to give you his nose. He might not like his nose very much either, but he's like, here you go, you get it anyways, right? Now, you might be his child, and you're not guaranteed to get that nose, but we're guaranteed, pretty much guaranteed, that sin is going to be passed down from father to son here in this, this uh, progression. We may not want sin to rule over us, but unfortunately it comes with the package because we're literally Adam's flesh and blood. So no matter how far down the family tree he may be, sin has this way of finding its way all the way down to us and ruling over all of us. So sin began to have rule over us. So kids, I want you to picture something with me here, okay? I want all of you to picture this, but just picture this. Picture Adam's name now. Picture Adam in a domain, okay? So this is Adam and everybody that's gonna be born under Adam. What I want you to do is I want you to picture a bunch of little stick figures, okay? Starting with the first couple of stick figures will be Cain and Abel, all right? 
Now, the problem with these guys are stained. They look a lot like this vase over here. They're, they're, they're stained with sin, and right out of the gate, the first offspring, there's murder, right? I mean, Cain kills Abel, and there's more of them. This, this thing just continues to, to go from father to son, this progression, and, and in each generation, there's more being born. Sin's continually getting passed on. The world's really going south really fast. It gets so bad till you get to all the way down to Noah, and the Lord's like, we need to do a purge here. And everyone dies in the flood, right? But Noah, the thing is, he's, he's infected with this sin. So even though there's this purge, it continues going down more and more, all the way till you get to, you'll scroll down and you'll get more stick figures until you get to Moses and there's slavery. The Egyptians enslave the Israelites. And then there's more going down, progression, all the way till you get to David. Now, David's a really interesting story because he kills Goliath to save Israel. And he marries the king's daughter. But here's the problem. His father-in-law hates him. He gets kicked out of the house. He loses his job. His wife marries somebody else. His kids hate each other. And in that moment, country music is born right there for all of mankind, right? There is no country music without the fall of man, okay? But it continues. Now, here's the problem. There's more, and we'll get to a few more moments of this generation of this, all this happening here in Adam's domain. But the problem with Adam's domain it's not only are we just infected with sin, not only does the sin rule over us, because, you know, if you're in a place where you don't want to be and things are bad, you just move on, right? But we don't have that opportunity in Adam's domain. When you're in Adam's domain, you're stuck there. Now, maybe you can think, I'm going to just try hard. I, you know, I'm just going to give it my best effort, and if I just try really hard, if I could just be a good person, does this sound familiar? If I could just be a good person, I can earn my way out of here. It's a heartbreaking reflection. It's an understandable reflection, but it's a heartbreaking reflection because many, many have tried. And it's not going to happen. So it's in this posture, in this, this moment where we're thinking about how we're stuck here in a domain with sin ruling over us in a domain we can't even get out of. I want to ask you to stand with me here. Okay, I want to invite you to stand. Because maybe there's some of us, and we all understand what it's like to, to feel stuck, being stuck in this domain that you just can't get out of. There was a, a deep-rooted hopelessness in each of those generations. Could you imagine what hope would have sounded like to those people? What would that have sounded like? They probably couldn't even comprehend what hope could be like. We were born into this domain with this tremendous debt called sin. Generations of, generations of people who can't save themselves. And the, the reality is we need outside help. We need hope. And so generations of people were begging God to bring hope because what the world needed was saving hope.
between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into Take your seats. Those of you who are hoping for a country song right there, I'm sorry if you were disappointed. So we're going to jump back into Adam's domain right now, okay? So here we are. We're in Adam's domain, right? All these generations of, of stained little stick figures representing all the people that have lived. We have the major prophets like Isaiah and the minor prophets like, like Nahum and Micah. And it's just scrolling down when all of this sudden in the world, the father to son progression of sin was just interrupted. And the promise of hope arrives right into the world. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, how is that possible, right? 
Hope arrives in the world. The progression of sin is interrupted. Why? Because Joseph was not Jesus' father. He arrives on the scene unstained. All those little stained, like stick figures, if you can picture in Adam's domain, there's one that shows up just bright, clear, and pure. He interrupts this entire process. Now, what's interesting is, excuse me, in Adam's domain where Jesus shows up, he could have just lived there. He could have lived there and could have been pretty uneventful, but there's a reason that he was there. He was there because the father had a plan with Jesus, and that plan was to get every person out of that domain, as many as would receive him, to get them out of that domain as possible. That's why he sent them. This whole thing was actually promised in that course of everything happening in in Adam's domain there, the prophet Isaiah, 600 years before this moment of Jesus arriving on the scene, he prophesies this is gonna happen. He says, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God himself shows up for all of us. Just let that soak in for just a moment. God himself came to do this. Now, most people know the Christmas story, but they don't know the why behind the Christmas story. They know Jesus came, he was born of a virgin. Well, why did it have to be that way? Here's the why. No mere man could just step in and fulfill the Father's plan to rescue mankind out of that domain. Nobody could pull that off. And believe me, there were some great people that showed up before Jesus, but not one of them could have done it. There's none of them that could have done that. No, it begs the question then. So what did the Father accomplish in sending his Son? What did he accomplish? Let's take a look here. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Are you kidding me? We have two domains. So we have Adam's domain right here. And now we have Jesus's domain. The Bible actually describes these two as the first and the last Adam or the first Adam and the second Adam. There's only been two Adams on this planet that have a domain. The first one, and Jesus. So this is great news. We're going to get transferred out of here, right? So how's that supposed to happen? Road trip? And how are you going to get out of there? Is this like a, well, it's spiritual, so maybe it's more like a Star Trek thing. We'll just, Jesus will be over here in, in his domain, and we just need to buy a flip phone over here in Adam's domain, and, you know, just beam me up Jesus, and we'll just transfer over? I mean, is that how this whole thing's supposed to work? I mean, I think we know that's not how it's going to work. But the good news is we're actually, for the first time, going to be able to transfer back to something that is just a little bit closer to the garden. Because when Jesus showed up, the earth saw perfection for the first time since the garden. And we need to get there. But the problem is the transferal. Here is where Good Friday comes in. This is where it comes to play. You see, if we're in Adam's domain, there's only one way out. 
you have to die. It's the only way for us to get out of there. And I'm not talking like physically dying, but a spiritual death. I will talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But there's no exceptions. The only way out is to die. Now, Jesus actually didn't have to. He actually chose to. He didn't deserve to. But he chose to do this for us. Because this was all part of the Father's plan. Jesus had to go to the cross to create a bridge from Adam's domain to his domain, the domain of the Son of God. And here's how he had to build the bridge, and it's brutal. It is a brutal, brutal bridge to build. This is what Isaiah says 600 years, even before it happens. He says that with the cross, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now here's the beauty and the ugliness. All the sins of mankind were poured right onto Jesus. But in this place was the punishment that literally brought us peace. He took all of our sin, but we got all of his righteousness. So we could go to a place where sin would no longer reign over us like it does over here, but over here there was gonna be something else that would reign in our lives. I'm gonna have you stand with me again, okay? See, it's a place no longer where death reigns, but where grace reigns. A place where mercy reigns and grace reigns and it never dies. I surrender my life, I'm in a 
can take your seats. So in looking at everything, we can see here how Adam set the stage for Good Friday and for Christ to go to the cross. Now, what I want to do is just take a hard look now at Christ's identity and on his journey to the cross to really help us grasp the magnitude of what takes place here. You know, when Christ was out doing ministry, one of the most powerful things he ever said about himself, he says, I have the authority to lay my life down and I have the authority to pick it back up again. Get your mind around that for just a second. Does that sound like a mere man to you that just can, I think I'm going to raise myself from the dead when I'm ready on my own time. Those are powerful, powerful words. Now, what I want to do is actually connect something from the Old Testament to Good Friday. I just want to just reference something. So if you'll jump back with me a little bit to Moses, okay? I want to just make a brief uh, reference to his encounter with God at the burning bush. And here's the context. God said to Moses, listen, Moses, I'm sending you back in Egypt, and you're going to tell Pharaoh to release all my people from slavery. Now, Moses gave a little pushback, okay? He didn't buy into it initially. And one of the things he didn't buy into is he's like, he didn't know if he was going to have buy-in of the other Israelites when he goes on this journey. So he says to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Well, what shall I tell them? Listen to what he says here. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So God makes this personal reference to himself as I am. Now, Let's just pick back up again with Jesus. This is after the Last Supper, and he is in Gethsemane, and he is praying to the Father, and, he's, and, he, and this is tough. This is tough, tough place for Jesus. And he literally says, Father, if there's any will or any way you can pass this cup for me, not my will, but your will be done. And he's trying to keep the apostles awake. And this is when the mob shows up. And the mob comes with clubs and swords and torches sent by the religious leaders of the day. And something pretty amazing is about to happen as the great I am, being Jesus, is gonna surrender himself. God with us, Emmanuel, is gonna surrender himself. When they ask who he is, excuse me, they ask, they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? This is what he says. Let's look at it in the text. He says, as soon as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Now, I want to point out something here. The I am he, the he is something that's just been inserted by English translators. If you read that in the, in the, in the, in the Greek text, it says, ego eime which literally means I am, the personal name for God. Literally, Jesus states that to them in that moment to this crowd holding torches, swords, and clubs, and all of them end up on their backs right on the ground in that moment. Why is this amazing? Well, I'll tell you why it's amazing. Just think for a second with me, okay? A mob's goal is to show strength. 
when they'd come in groups, and I read a number of accounts, and I don't think we know how many, but I heard, so one account, it might have been 300, or another person said 600. I don't know how many of them there were. But they were there to show strength. And they were gonna intimidate anybody who might even have the idea of trying to oppose them. And they are coming on a mission, and they are going to capture whomever they're going to get. And they're coming at night. Get, think about this. People would run from mobs, right? I mean, can you blame them? That's what people do. But they have a mission literally commissioned by the religious leaders of the day. The high priest servant is there leading the charge. And so if they were going to try to mock Jesus or something, just, just imagine if they like got to the edge of Gethsemane and said, okay, listen, high priest, like, okay, I want everyone's attention. Look at, look at. So as soon as the guy says who he is, he says, Jesus, I want everybody to fall down on their backs, Right? When you guys want to practice, why don't you come on up here and you be Jesus and already everybody, Jesus, and go down. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's an, it's an outrageous, it's outrageous to even think about, isn't it? It's outrageous because something divine was taking place right here. It's clearly the power of God knocking this mob right off their feet. Because what did Jesus say? He said, I have the authority to lay my life down. And in this moment, God just reminds the world who he is, the great I am, surrenders his life. And everybody gets knocked down as they're getting up, they're dusting themselves off, probably going, what was that? He's like, listen, you've got me. Why don't you go ahead and let all these other people go, right? The great I am, being Jesus, gave himself up to create a bridge for you and for me to go from Adam's domain, the domain of darkness, to a domain of the Son of God. One rules with sin. One rules with grace and mercy. If you don't get anything I said, I want you to catch this, okay? Remember, in Adam's domain, you can't be a good person you can't just earn your way out to get out of there. Well, like the opposite is true with Jesus. Where sin and death reign here, grace and mercy reigns over here. So over here, I'm not as good as my last mistake. When I fail, when I fall on my face, as I'm trying to go through big words called the sanctification process, which basically means learning to live like whom we have actually become in Jesus Christ. You mean I don't get kicked out when I make a mistake over here? The answer is an emphatic no. You see, the devil has one play for Christians now. So I'm going to speak to Christians in this moment. His only play here is to try to convince you that you're stuck over here in Adam's domain. You're not living under the promise anymore. He's lying to you just like he did to Eve. You're actually still stuck under the curse. And that's his really only play that he has for us. The last thing he wants to identify with is to understand what happened. If you haven't made a decision for Jesus Christ, I'm gonna tell you how this process works. Remember what I said is, as men, we literally, men and women, in order to get out of here, we have to die. 
And so it's not a physical death. We literally surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And we trust that that bridge, everything that took place on that cross was sufficient for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins on that cross. And we literally get out of here. We die to ourselves and we're literally born of the spirit over here. There's new birth in Jesus Christ. That's what that means. I lived in Adam's domain. I know exactly what that's like. When I was in, I didn't come to Christ and I didn't make this move and this switch until I was 21 years old. But when I was in Adam's domain, I did everything a 21 year old that you could think of could have imagined. The crazy thing is that there are actually some people that wanted my life. They, they wanted my friend group. They wanted people that I dated. Or, but I hated it. I didn't, want, I didn't want anything to do with that. My, one of the most depressing days of my life was when I turned 21. I'm like, so this is it. This is all the life that, that is waiting for me right here. I hated living in Adam's domain. It is a hopeless, desperate, dark place where you're convinced that you're free, living and doing whatever you want, and in all reality, you're a slave to sin. So this is our heart for you here on Good Friday. Our heart for you is this. If you find yourself, you haven't made this transferal, as the Bible talks about, you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You haven't experienced new birth. We want to encourage you to get out of here as fast as you possibly can. We're going to take some time now. I'm going to invite the ushers to come down. And we're going to come to the communion table. And I want to talk about the elements for just a moment as we've gone through these reflections on Adam's domain in Christ's domain. The bread that, that is represented of Jesus' body, when he said, do this in memory of me, when we remember that cross, I just want you to know something about that bridge, that you can trust it. Remember how I said that the enemy tries to convince some people they're still stuck in Adam's domain. They're not totally sure sometimes. They'll question that bridge. That is the most sound divine bridge. That cross can bear the weight of all of the sin of mankind, of everybody that lived before Jesus and everybody that lived after him. It is truly sound in a truly sound place where you can put your trust that all of your sins, that, excuse me, that cross can take the weight of your sins as well. We're going to have a time of instrumental music when we do worship here. And you're going to be able to take these elements, the juice that's in here, the sign of the new covenant. This is where we remember, under this new covenant, sin doesn't rule anymore. Death doesn't rule anymore. And we remember when we eat the bread, and we take this cup. If you'll bow your heads with me.
Jesus, it is so hard to even get our minds around how you suffered. You came, you didn't have to. But we're so grateful to the Father for sending you, and we're so grateful for your obedience. And you showed us who you are. I just want to pray for everyone here as we come to the communion table for those that just think they are stuck in Adam's domain. That maybe they just never made that decision to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. I pray your spirit would move on them right now. And for those who need renewal here on Good Friday, the sin of this world has unfortunately convinced them that maybe, maybe I'm not over in this domain. And they've forgotten that they were made in the image of a beautiful triune God. So Lord, let us remember that coming to you, we get, we get this taste of perfection that we've not seen since the garden. And we get a trust of redemption and hope. Maybe since the last Good Friday, there were, just last year, there were promises made. I don't know. But I feel the need to pray for everyone who's just made promises that they didn't keep and they're wondering why this Good Friday will be different. I pray that these reflections of who they are in Jesus Christ will renew their, their trust of everything that took place, that they have been born of the Spirit and now they are truly in a domain where their mistakes don't get them kicked out. Mercy reigns, grace reigns, love reigns. So I wanna pray over them that you would just tear down the lies and the garbage they've been fed and that the truth would set them free. We thank you for coming and dying for us as we come to your table in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.